Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 20th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me in today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, so we, we've uh, c- kind of had a slow couple of days uh, with with movie news, but today we, you know, the drought has ended. We have been, there's been a lot of news slammed upon us, so we're going to try to get through uh, more stories than we normally cover on this podcast in uh, the same amount of time, so it might be a little more brief than we normally do with the discussion, but uh, let's get into it. Let's start out with the, the biggest of the big, and that is Star Wars. Uh with Han Solo not performing as well as they had thought, we are now hearing from Bob Iger that Star Wars production is slowing down. Brad, you wrote for this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so we found out not too long ago uh, there were some rumors going around that Lucasfilm was kind of uh, reconsidering their approach to what the Star Wars spinoffs are supposed to be and kind of getting their expectations in check and figuring out what to do. Um, there was one report that said that the spinoffs that were supposed to be in the works and were in development were delayed indefinitely. 
But then some news came out sort of after that, that Lucasfilm was more so just figuring out which one they wanted to move forward with and how they wanted to move forward, considering they were thinking that maybe the spinoffs didn't need to be movies that were as big as the primary chapters in the Star Wars universe, the the trilogy movies um, and the future movies that will you know, be a new series that come from David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and Ryan Johnson and whatnot. And so uh, addressing this today, Bob Iger in an interview basically took blame for how Solo panned out and uh, said that they were going to be rethinking how they turn out Star Wars movies. Um, What he said is, uh, quote, I made the timing decision. And as I look back, I think the mistake that I made, I take the blame, was a little too much too fast. You can expect some slowdown, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make films. J.J. Uh, is busy making episode nine. We have creative entities, including Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are developing sagas of their own, which we haven't been specific about. Uh, and we are just at the point where we're going to start making decisions about what comes next after J.J.'s. But I think we're going to be a little bit more careful about volume and timing, and the buck stops here on that. So what that sounds a lot like is they're probably not going to be churning out Star Wars movies at the same rate that they're churning out Marvel movies. Um, I wouldn't. I, I don't think that they'll stop churning out one Star Wars movie a year, but I don't think they'll go any faster than that. And I think they realize that maybe one of the bigger problems with Solo is that it came only five months after The Last Jedi, and maybe that wasn't enough time for fans to kind of get a break and people to, you know, come back around and be excited for a Star Wars movie again. On top of the fact that, you know, there were problems with Solo from the beginning and it was a yeah. movie that even some of the most hardcore fans weren't uh, exactly excited about or pleased with when all was said and done. So, um, yeah. Do, 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 do you think the statement, the way he says it, kind of indicates that he thinks that was the problem, not that, uh, you know, that the timing was the problem and not that people just didn't want a Han Solo movie? I feel like he was probably putting a little bit more of a positive spin on it just because he is the company CEO. And so even though he's admitting blame, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to acknowledge that maybe there's some fatigue there or some, you know, disappointment from fans. Uh, so, you know, he's he's admitting a little bit of defeat, but also not necessarily uh, being as negative about it as he otherwise might need to be. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask, because a lot of people, want, a lot of the you know Star Wars fans that didn't like Last Jedi are taking the fact that he did not mention the Ryan Johnson trilogy that's in development, uh, meaning that uh, maybe Ryan Johnson, Johnson isn't making that anymore. What, what do you ha- what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I don't think that that's, you know, a thing at all. You know, first of all, that rumor is, you know, completely unfounded and just created to stir up trouble. And I think it's just one of those thing where, things where he's he's speaking off the cuff in an interview, and that's the first thing that came to his mind. If anything, maybe that's just the first Star Wars project, you know, that is further along and that will happen before Ryan Johnson's, because as we know, Ryan Johnson already has another movie that he's doing uh, before he gets to work on his Star Wars trilogy. So I don't think it's anything to read into too much. It sounds like, you know, conspiracy nonsense to me. I think Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy is very much still in development and still happening at Lucasfilm. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you there. I don't think that there's any trouble in that area. I think uh, it just might be a couple years down the line. It'll be interesting to see what what Disney and Lucasfilm do with Star Wars. I, I, I think if anything, Han Solo shows them that they should be, you know, making Ant-Man like style, uh, you know, a, a level of movies in addition to the saga movies. Do you know what I mean? Like, or, or if anything, maybe they're going to just save their Star Wars story style narratives for their TV shows that, that will they'll put on their streaming service. 
That would be interesting. I wonder if they would do something like that. Uh, but let's move on to uh, the other things that Bob Iger said in that interview, because the interview was mostly about the Me Too movement and the digital streaming service. Ben, I know that you uh, kind of encapsulated uh, the major talking points, that uh, major things we learned from the conversation. Uh, could you tell us the most interesting uh, bits right now? Yeah, I'll, I'll just list two of them. Uh, first up, he uh, Bob Iger implied that Kevin Feige is going to continue to run Marvel. And I know there's been some speculation that he might be leaving soon, but there was nothing in uh, Iger's comments that indicated that at all. In fact, when uh, the interviewer asked him if, uh, you know, what, what was going to happen when um, Disney acquired Fox's X-Men franchise, the interviewer asked if Kevin Feige was going to oversee everything. And um, Bob Iger said, I think that only makes sense. I want to be careful here because of what's been communicated to the the Fox folks. But I think they know it only makes sense for Marvel to be supervised by one entity. There shouldn't be two Marvels. He said, uh, Kevin's got a lot of ideas. I'm not suggesting that Deadpool might become an Avenger, but who knows? So uh, <laughs> that's, that's one thing there. And then the other one is that um, Bob Iger stands by the decision to fire James Gunn. We've talked a lot about that on the podcast. So I don't need to rehash all those details details here but uh the interviewer asked if um you know in the ensuing backlash if uh if Iger still supported the decision to fire James Gunn and he said uh quote I haven't second guessed their decision so uh he was talking about a, a unanimous decision from a variety of executives at the studio that sort of came to him with this idea to fire James Gunn and he he backed their play and uh now he's he even though he's seen the backlash he uh, is not uh, is not step you know backing down from that uh, decision it, at this point. It is funny though the way he frames it is almost like it wasn't his decision. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so he's it like, it wasn't I, his idea. He just sort of like put the final the final nail in the coffin, as yeah. it were. He listened to the the people that are under him that uh, are you know yeah. Uh, let's move on to HBO's Watchmen TV series. Uh, you know, this is a show that I didn't think I could. Uh, would ever happen, and I didn't think I would be as interested as I am in it with Damon Lindelof and now this news of uh, the composers for the show. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who um, worked together in Nine Inch Nails, and they've also composed uh, a whole bunch of great uh, film scores, uh, primarily for David Fincher. They did The Social Network and Gone Girl and Girl the Dragon Tattoo. They are also now going to do the music for Watchmen, the the TV series on HBO, which will be out sometime in 2019. Well, that that is very cool. Are, are you excited about this? Are you big fans of uh, Reznor and Ross? I am. I love their their scores. The Social Network soundtrack in particular is fantastic. So uh, this this has me intrigued. Yeah, I used to have that score on repeat just like while I worked. It's just su- such great music to work by, uh, it, especially if you're working on a computer. Um, d- 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 let's move on to another TV thing. Uh, the DC Universe was launched, uh, I think, last Friday or last Saturday. Uh, I don't think any of us have this service. This is the digital service that is going to provide comics and movies and TV uh, all in the DC uh, brand name. Uh, Brad, I know you wrote this article for the site. Uh, giving us some insight on like, what their original programming uh, plans are. So, Brad, tell us about the plans. Uh, as we know, DC Universe is already live um, as a subscription service, but its first bit of original programming won't arrive until October 12th when their uh, extremely dark and gritty series Titans debuts. 
Um, and when that happens, they're only going to be debuting one new episode of the series each week. It won't be a binge-watch situation where they drop the entire season at once. And it sounds like that approach is actually going to be how DC Universe conducts itself for the next couple years. Um, they, they already have series adaptations of Swamp Thing, Doom Patrol, and Stargirl on the way, as well as animated shows for Harley Quinn and the third season of Young Justice uh, called Outsiders. So what they'll be doing with those shows is um, up through 2019, they'll be releasing one episode of original programming each week. But then once 2020 rolls around, they'll be churning out two new episodes each week. And if you think about it, that kind of makes sense because by then they'll have gotten through the first seasons of the their first round of original programming. And then they'll start to dig into the second seasons on top of presumably starting new shows as well. So they'll have enough output that they'll be able to start putting out more episodes of shows each week uh, rather than you know only sticking to one episode each week. I mean, this, this is smart because it's going to keep a DC fan, like, you know, subscribed because they, you know, have to, you know, they can't just subscribe, binge watch and then cancel. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't think there is a streaming service I would subscribe to that only gave me one hour of new original programming each week. Uh, <laughs> Brad, would you, would you ever subscribe to something <laughs> like this? I mean, for me personally, like, it's mostly just because this subscription service isn't really for me, like... It'd be one thing if that was the only thing they were getting out of this, but the fans also have access to, you know, the entire library of DC animated movies, all of the DC comics, uh, live action movies, um, a huge library of comic books, um, and so and all that stuff. So DC fans are getting a little bit something more out of it. For me, it's definitely not uh, worth it just because I'm not quite as invested in DC comics properties um, as other people are. I, it does make me wonder if. At some point, since we recently heard that Warner Brothers was possibly considering their own streaming service, if any of these shows that are part of DC Universe would also be included in the Warner Brothers streaming service that might come to life sometime down the road. Because um, they, DC Universe ha is looking into um, having Titans uh, distributed on a streaming service internationally outside of the United States. So I wonder if that might be something that comes together uh, along the road that allows people to see the show without having to subscribe to DC Universe only. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of interested in DC Universe, not for their original programming, but for their comics catalog. But I haven't really looked into how many comics are available on that uh, versus, you know, like Marvel Unlimited. Um, but I, I'll probably be doing that this weekend just to... Oh. to Peter, also, don't yeah. forget that uh, Kevin Smith is going to be hosting a daily show on DC Universe. So it's not just one hour of original content per week. That's going to be a daily uh, thing. Yeah. yeah, but isn't isn't DC Daily a free thing like Star Wars show? Oh, uh, I didn't know that. You very well could be right. Sorry to <laughs> butt in with possibly wrong information. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we'll have to keep an eye on this. It'll be interesting as more streaming services enter the mix. Um, but another big piece of news they hit this morning is that uh, they have found a director to replace. Uh, Danny Boyle is the director of uh, Bond 25. And, uh, you know... I think on this podcast, even Jacob Paul said an American director would would never be hired to direct this movie. And uh, what did they do? They hired uh, not only an American director, but a, a uh, an auteur director who is, uh, you know, been has had creative issues with other uh, other studios over over their projects. Uh, ben, tell us about it. 
yeah, Kerry Joji Fukunaga is going to direct Bond 25. So this is very exciting news. Um, Fukunaga is the guy who directed the entire first season of True Detective on HBO, which was tremendous. That was the season with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson. He has direct. He, he came very close to directing uh, the It adaptation, the Stephen King movie that came out last year before he sort of fell apart. And yes, as Peter just mentioned, he has definitely had his uh, his run-ins with um, various studios and and uh, TV networks over the years over creative differences. And he's a very, um, you know, he's one of those guys that has a, a very strong vision for a lot of the projects that he uh, becomes involved with. So it's sort of surprising that um, that uh, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, the producers, would agree to work with him on a movie like this because the, the I guess, the general thinking was that they would maybe want somebody that they could easily control for a producer-driven uh, film franchise like this, but it sounds like they're just going all in on Fukunaga, and that sounds like it could result in some pretty exciting stuff. Um, in terms of the release date, it's been pushed back a little bit to February 14th of 20, uh, 2020, so originally it was uh, we were aiming for a November 2019 release date, so it's just a few months uh, back from that now. Is this the first American to direct the franchise? I know Irving Kirshner directed Never Say Never Again, but I, I think most people don't consider that part of the canon. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not Eon produced. That's not a real quote unquote real Bond movie. Um, so yeah, I believe uh, Fukunaga is the first American director to helm a Bond film, which is kind of wild. He's also the uh, only the second non-white director. He's uh, half Japanese, I think. Yeah, and it. it you know, this is a franchise that has turned down Steven Spielberg, who uh, people, people, I'm not sure if they turned down Christopher Nolan. Did they, did they turn down Christopher Nolan? We know Christopher Nolan had put feelers out that he was interested, and uh, obviously that, that has not happened. Happened. So I'm I'm very curious if this is actually going to uh, come to fruition. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this one? I know you you are kind of a Bond uh, fan. I mean, uh, this is a great get, and I would love to see it happen. But uh, as we already mentioned, uh, you know, he's had problems before. I mean, he walked away from it. He was supposed to direct almost uh, a bunch of episodes of TNT's The Alienist, but he walked away from that. Um, he threw out all the scripts for Maniac right before they were about to start shooting and rewrote them. So he's definitely... Uh, someone who's very committed to his own vision, which might clash with <laughs> Bond, but I, I feel like they had to have known that when they hired him. So I guess they're going to take their chances. What What do you think the chances of this film actually happening with uh, this director? I, I, I guess it depends on when they want to start shooting it. If, if they really start shooting it soon, I'm, I'll assume well, he's going to stick with it. they would have shooting next year if they want to hit 2020, I would assume. Yeah, the, the, they actually said in their official announcement that filming begins on March 9th – or I'm sorry, March 4th of 2019, so not too long. Yeah, I guess we'll know that. If, if he's still attached by March, I'll assume it's happening, but uh, we'll see. You never know. He could walk off the the shoot like a month into production. Uh, but let's move on to uh, the Twilight Zone. Uh, you, we know that Jordan Peele is rebooting this series, and we have even speculated on this podcast if Jordan Peele would take over the Rod Serling role as host. And now we have the answer to that. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah. So a few months ago, actually, someone actually in an interview asked Jordan Peele if he would be doing, you know, not just developing the, the, the Twilight Zone reboot, but also hosting it the way Rod Serling used to do. And he said he was resistant to the idea, but he hadn't ruled it out. 
but now it's official. He is taking over as the host of the show, not just the guy developing the show, but also the host. Um, if uh, people out there have somehow never managed to see The Twilight Zone, every episode of the original series used to start with Rod Serling, the creator, walking onto the screen and basically giving a, a brief synopsis of what was going to happen. And it was always amusing because he would he would literally just walk into a scene and no one would notice he was there. He was like this invisible man that only the, the audience could see. And now Jordan Peele is going to be doing that, too, as he takes over the show, which is which is kind of cool. And, and I also think this is a smart from a filmmaker's perspective. I feel like like we've seen less of this uh, in this day and age. And, you know, back in the day, you know, you had Alfred Hitchcock uh, host Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And you'd have, you know, even Sp- Steven Spielberg would come out and, like, introduce, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, things uh, promoting his movies. I feel like uh, we see less of filmmakers being the front of uh, their productions. And I... I feel like we're losing kind of the, the iconic directors. You know, we don't have the George Lucas of today, I think, uh, because of that. So, uh, um, you know, it'll be fun to see Jordan Peele, who obviously has, you know, a, a place on the screen as well as behind the camera, uh, hosts this show. But let's move on to uh, another Marvel show, and that is a Marvel female superhero series that has been announced by ABC. It's coming from the writer of Wonder Woman. Brad, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Indeed. Uh, well, right now, ABC only has one Marvel show, and that's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and there's a chance that that series might be on its way out. Uh, it got renewed for uh, a shortened sixth season, but there's no indication that it might continue after that. Uh, so ABC has been wanting to create another new Marvel show for a while, um, and now it seems like they have one. Alan Hainberg, uh, who is was the writer of Wonder Woman, uh, is apparently working on this series for ABC from Marvel Television. That will uh, he will serve as executive producer along with Jeff Loeb, Marvel Television's uh, main dude on all of their TV projects. And it's going to be uh, the details are pretty scarce, but it will focus on a group of female characters with superpowers. Um, but and the only thing that we know so far is that it will focus on some lesser known Marvel characters. So we won't be seeing. Uh, any of the familiar characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe or any of the more prominent characters from Marvel Comics. Um, like I said, no hints as to what this series might be. I feel like the best option, though, is probably something like A-Force. Um, that was launched in Mar- uh, May of 2015. Uh, it came after the Secret Wars crossover, and it includes a lot of lesser-known characters. The, the team's led by She-Hulk, who's, who's fairly well-known, but the first iteration of the team includes superheroes like Dazzler, Medusa, Nico Minoru, and Singularity. And those are all characters who most general audiences and even some, you know, uh, basic comic book fans aren't super familiar with. So I could easily see them trying to turn that uh, into a big series at ABC. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's this is kind of interesting, but at the same time... Me personally, as, as a Marvel fan, um, I'm, I already don't have much much interest in the Marvel Netflix shows simply because they're only tangentially connected to the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, you know, there's some good content there for sure, but for me, I feel like it's, it falls too far outside of the jurisdiction of the MCU to really catch my interest. And ABC is even further out because they, they're even less connected to it and in their own little world. So the, the limitations of network television combined with the fact that, you know, I, I fell out of, 
fascination with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and don't find myself attracted to, you know, things like Cloak and Dagger, I, I it's going to take a lot for me to be interested in this, despite the fact that it is Marvel venturing, you know, into female-centric superhero territory. I wish they would just do something uh, bigger, you know, with a female team instead. Yeah, if you had told me 15 years, 15, 20 years ago that Marvel was going to be producing three films a year, that they would be the biggest films of the year, and they would have... Uh, you know, a bunch of TV shows, and Peter, you are not watch, watching or interested in any of the TV shows. I'd be like, well, all that is wrong. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I gave Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a try. I liked the first uh, season of Daredevil. Uh, actually, second season of Daredevil. A lot of the other series, I liked a little bit of Jessica Jones. But, like, I, I don't know. I think... I think Jeff Loeb is the problem here. Everything that he's involved with as a producer uh, is just not my cup of tea. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Kevin Feige, it, it was good news, us learning about this, these streaming uh, shows that are coming up with Loki and Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Witch, which are going to be produced by Kevin Feige uh, instead of Jeff Loeb. Uh, Kevin Feige was uh, involved in the Peggy Carter series, and uh, Jeff Loeb has pretty much done everything else. So I, I think going forward with those shows, when they're more connected, like you said, Brad, maybe that will get... Uh, a lot more interested uh, a lot more people interested but uh even though this is the you know the first female superhero series from marvel i i, I don't think i would be interested just because of the the uh inclusion of jeff Loeb. uh ben do you have any thoughts on this i'm i'm sort of right there with you i think that uh i just i'm like brad you know if it's not directly connected to the mcu i just don't feel that pull that that magnetic need to watch these shows so i just really haven't tuned into much beyond just you know a random episode here or there kind of thing so yeah yeah Okay, let's move on to another TV series that no one is, none of us are watching. I shouldn't say no one's watching because people are watching because it's a big franchise that they're making lots and lots of stuff of. Uh, and I'm talking about The Walking Dead. Uh, they have announced they're going to be making more movies and more spinoffs uh, in development at AMC. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, AMC is so committed to The Walking Dead that they have plans to keep it going in some form for at least 10 years, which. Uh, Good, good luck with that. Um, so what, 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 what's going on here is The Walking Dead is still popular, but its ratings have dropped off a little bit. And instead of assuming that's a sign that no one wants The Walking Dead anymore, AMC is assuming they just don't want the main show anymore. So what they're planning is they're going to make a bunch of made-for-TV movies that will serve as sort of like the launch pad for several new spin-off shows about different characters. So... Uh, that that's the plan at least. I mean, none of this is like set in stone yet, but that seems to be the plan. Like, all right, no one really cares about the main show anymore. Let's create different shows in this universe. Maybe people will care about them. Chris, what would it take from any of these movies or shows to get you to want to watch them? Oh God, point? I don't, I don't think anything. I, <laughs> I just, I don't care. I can't imagine like maybe even had like the most amazing cast ever but you know i know fear of the walking dead had like kim dickens on it for a while and i love kim dickens she's a great actress but i never felt the need to watch it so i, I really don't know i feel like for me it would have to be like a filmmaker that i love like david fincher who was uh he was attached to world war z 2 right mm -hmm. um, yep. at some point so he must have some kind of interest in zombies uh i'm not sure if he'd want to go to uh uh premium cable or 
cable uh, TV. Uh, but I think something like that could get me interested. Uh, Brad, Ben, is what could get you interest, possibly interested in The Walking Dead? Uh, yeah. if, it was, if it was a crossover with Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I was actually going to say the same thing that you were, Peter. Like, if it could be, if they could turn it into like an anthology series and get, uh, you know, a singular auteur to come in and do like a one and done season where I wouldn't have to pay attention to any of the other Walking Dead franchise and I could just watch that one season and be satisfied with that arc, um, I would have no problem tuning into something like that. But that just doesn't seem like the direction they're going. Yeah, not at all. Uh, let's move to our last and final story, and that is that Michael B. Jordan has been cast in a Tom Clancy movie adaptation. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Michael B. Jordan, who recently starred in Black Panther, he's got Creed 2 coming up, has scored a lead role in two uh, Tom Clancy adaptations, actually. He's going to play the character of John Clark, which is one of the, the main characters in Tom Clancy's spy novels, in at least two movies. So first up, he's going to be in an adaptation of a book called Without Remorse, which um, is sort of an origin story for how uh, John Clark, a.k.a. John Kelly, became an ex-Navy SEAL and he turned into a CIA operative. And then that is going to be followed up by a Rainbow Six movie, which Hollywood has been trying to make for a long time. And um, the character of John Clark is sort of like a, uh, a supporting character in the quote unquote Jack Ryan verse. Um, Jack Ryan, of course, is being played by John Krasinski on Amazon right now. But that's a TV show. This is apparently separate from that. This is going to be a new film series uh akiva goldsman is producing so that's kind of a bummer <laughs> um josh applebaum and, and andre nemec are also producing but michael b jordan is producing uh as well so that's that's good news there's no writer or director attached to these films yet um but i just really hope that akiva goldsman doesn't put too much of his fingerprint on it uh his <laughs> track record is very spotty as we've talked about previously um but uh, yeah, the, this is kind of interesting because back by the in way, this is the second time that they're trying to launch a a, a uh, Tom Clancy cinematic universe. Yeah, like, exactly. I, yeah. I, I remember um, being on the set of uh, Jack Ryan. The uh, what is that? Chris Pine was that the right Chris? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so forgettable. But they were talking about that and how it was going to have crossovers with other movies, and uh, right. that kind of didn't come to be really in a fleshed out world. Yeah, and one of the things was uh, when Kevin Costner, who appeared in Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, that movie you were just talking about, he he plays like a recruiter character who recruits Chris Pine's Jack Ryan, uh, that when he was still in talks to come on board that project, Paramount was thinking about making multiple movies, and one of them is Without Remorse, which is the movie they're talking about doing now with Michael B. Jordan, and they were going to have Kevin Costner play the same character in both movies, sort of like a Nick Fury of that Jack Ryan-verse, if you will, um, and they were actually looking at Tom Hardy to star as John Clark uh, at that point and then Akiva Goldsman more recently was looking at Ryan Reynolds to star but now Michael B. Jordan has taken that part so um, it's a it's a big part and I'm glad to see him headline another major franchise aside from Creed so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do and and you know as Chris mentioned before like it, it's all sort of about the filmmakers here so I, I'm very fascinated to see who they get to write and direct this. Chris, I know you read a lot of stuff. Have you read any of the Tom Clancy books? Are you excited about this? I, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend a lot of people, but Tom Clancy is for like grandfathers. So I'm sure a grandfather somewhere will be very excited about this. But I, I, I mean, I love Michael B. Jordan. So who knows? Maybe this will turn out really cool. But I feel like Tom Clancy's books are very, at least, you know, his early books are very analytical. They're not really action stories they've just been turned into that by hollywood so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out 
Okay, that brings us then to uh, to the end of today's podcast. But before we get to the the credits, as you, you will, I, I do want to plug a couple features that I have up on the site today. Uh, a couple months back, I visited Walt Disney Animation Studios and I saw some early footage from the Wreck It Ralph se- sequel. Ralph breaks the internet and uh, got to talk to all the you know people involved with that from the directors to the writers to the animators and I have two articles up on the site right now that I spent a lot of time on and would love for you to read and they're done in a style that I think is not typical from uh, us or even other movie websites it's done kind of like in a, a store as a story so uh, one of the articles is how to how the hilarious Ralph breaks the internet Disney princess scene came to be and it kind of tells the story Story of how uh, this writer who uh, basically you got to go read the story, but it's basically how that uh, basically the, the the scene that everybody's talking about uh, came to actually be in the movie, and and also the fear that Disney was going to you know shut it down to say no and not want uh, them making funny fun of the brand and uh, you know kind of making a mockery of it. And the the other piece that I have up on the site is how about the movie, you know, this movie is from the filmmakers that made Zootopia. And I think people just expect this to be kind of like a fun romp. But uh, actually, the reason for making Ralph Breaks the Internet uh, kind of stems in the core of like online bullying and some some other kind of uh, serious topics. And uh, and Disney's actually going to kind of tackle those head on in, in this movie movie in a bit uh kind of in the maybe not to the extent of what zootopia was tackling but uh you know it, it like you, you don't usually expect that kind of stuff from from animated movies and it, it kind of uh tells you how how and why this sequel came about how uh zootopia you know put it on the sidelines and in a, a lot more uh but i would highly recommend checking both of those articles out you can read them on slash film.com and uh i'll put links in the show notes uh chris where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com every day, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Ben, where can we find your work? Uh, you can find my work at SlashFilm.com. I'm going on vacation for two weeks, so you guys enjoy. I will talk to you soon. Uh, you can follow my exploits on Instagram at Ben Pears. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about your adventures. Brad, where can we find you? Uh, there's a drawing I did once on my parents' fridge. You can also find me on Twitter <laughs> Ethan underscore Anderton uh, slash film.com is where I do a lot of my writing and you can also check out my podcast. Go Flix yourself. You can find more about all the stories we talked about in today's podcast linked in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.